Well, I am excited about tonight, and if it's okay with you guys, another thing that I love about the fall, and again, I'm just talking good, clean fun, not spooky, weird stuff, just good old-fashioned country fun is bonfires. Don't you guys love campfires and bonfires? And you guys are going to be really impressed. I've been working on this all day. Let me see if I can have a bonfire. Listen, y'all. That's for real. Listen to that. Mmm. You know what? What's a bonfire? It, it's dark outside. How about we lower a little bit of the lights in here? So it feels like a bonfire, really. Oh, I've been working on this all day, too. Oh, look at that. Wow. When y'all see Pastor Frankie, tell him I'm worth every penny that I can. So it's okay with you guys. I'm going to have a seat, and we're going to relax. I hear you guys enjoying your treats. Open them up, enjoy them. There's a popcorn ball in there. There's some s'mores in there. And I got to tell you, s'mores are my favorite thing to eat during the fall. You know, there's just one time a year that you get to have a certain food. And so you like go at it with both hands. Like at Christmas time is the only time that Starbucks does that peppermint macchiato. And so like if you pricked my finger, I would bleed like peppermint macchiato. And when it comes to s'mores, I, I promise you right now, you prick my finger, you're probably gonna see a Hershey's chocolate bar because <laughs> I just love going at it with both hands. And I gotta tell you, the, the s'more was kind of my inspiration for tonight because I was thinking about it, I was making them with my kids and having fun with them. And just enjoy the fire. We turn the lights down low. Maybe you're next to your spouse. You just want to slip a little arm around her. Maybe there's somebody you've been eyeing and you want to go get next to them. Pastor Frankie's out of town. <laughs> that's the other thing. I don't marry or bury here on, on staff, and I think that's probably good. <laughs> that's probably good. But, um, you know, just sit back and relax. And I thought tonight I'd just tell a campfire story. You know what I mean? Because here in the South, that's one thing we do really, really well. We love telling stories. And I was thinking about s'mores and marshmallows and bonfires. And I thought, you know, life, sometimes we feel like we're in a season where we're kind of a marshmallow. You know, we, we think we get caught up on all our bills and everything's going great. And then the car needs a new set of tires. <laughs> Anybody been there? And then we, uh, you can talk back to me, well, amen. You know, that's okay. Your mouth's full. Nobody can see it. We turn the lights down. And then, you know, life's going great. We think we're, you know, finally in a place where we're making some headway in an issue or an area of our life, and then we fall right back off the wagon. We get smushed again. You know, that's happened to me many times. Or, and we come back and we spring back, and life's going great again, and things are taking shape. And then all of a sudden, we feel like we've been stuck on the end of a skewer, and we're being roasted over an open fire. Be Thank you, sir, because our 16-year-old woke up, and all of a sudden, we're stupid. <laughs> it took him 16 years to realize I didn't know anything, you know what I mean? So that's, that's, a, that's a skewer skewer moment. Or maybe, you know, you, you have this other crossroads in your life. And you're like, man, the heat is on. What is up with this? And so I was thinking about these marshmallow seasons that we go through in life and thinking about s'mores. And while you eat, eat one tonight, I'm going to tell you a story about three guys, three friends, that went from the top of their game 
to marshmallows over an open fire in 60 seconds flat. So that's my story tonight. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord for his help, okay? Lord Jesus, Father, we love you so much. God, I thank you that scripture tells us that you laughed, that you were fun, that people invited you to weddings, that people wanted you in their homes. And God, I thank you that tonight that we can have an opportunity just to sit at your feet, relax, and learn from you in an environment that is sort of like you taught in many of the times you walked on the earth. God, bless us tonight. Help our ears to hear and our hearts to receive the word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to tell this story, <clears throat> not from the NIV, not from the KJV, but from what it's got to be, the Southern Living International Version. So you can go home and you can make sure I'm telling you the truth. It's in Daniel chapter 3. But I'm going to tell the story like they tell it in the deep south, like we tell it around a campfire or a bonfire. Is that good? So what had happened was <laughs> there were these three friends, and the Bible says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we can call them Bubba, Earl, and Jim Bob. We're living in this country that wasn't their own, and the king of this country got this crazy idea that he was going to build this 90-foot statue, and then he was going to gather all the leaders of the entire country together. And when they dropped the hoedown music, you had to fall to your knees and worship this huge statue. And if you don't worship the statue, then you go into the fiery furnace. And sidebar, the word for furnace in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word atun, and it's the only place in the entire Bible it's used is in the book of Daniel. And the word describes what we would call, in our vernacular, a crematory. You know, when we learned the story in Sunday school, it was the fiery furnace. Everybody heard that before? Well, the Hebrew word is actually sort of like a crematory because Mesopotamians used to cremate bodies. So that's your option. Bow down and worship or end up, well, on a very black marshmallow. <laughs> You're going to go on the deep side of the fire. And, you know, I, I was thinking about that, and, and there's four observations that I'm going to kind of lace into our in, our in our storytelling tonight. And when we think about it, the first thing I observe is that the people of God will always be the first to choose. The people of God will always be the first to choose. Jim Bob, Earl, and that other guy who I can't remember the name I gave him. Are, thank you. We're doing everything right. They're doing everything right. And here they get snatched up, plucked up, and put before the king and made to choose. And with you and I, we can be doing everything right in our walk. But because we're people of God, we're always going to be the first people to choose. Because we are salt and we are light. And when you are salt and light, then others are following you. And you are seasoning the environment that you're in. You're an influencer in your sphere. Nebuchadnezzar was so smart because he said, you know, I don't have to have the whole nation worship this idol. I just have to have the nation's leaders worship this idol. And then the rest of the people will follow suit. Well, the enemy's sort of smart the same way. He's like, I don't have to convince the whole town, or I don't have to convince the, the whole country to do this, but if I get a couple of influencers, 
I get a couple of people who are salt and light to follow this course, they'll bring others with them because they have a sphere of influence. You know, what you choose to do, others will follow. You choose what your home is going to be like, the habits that you put in place. And I want to tell you, people will follow the decisions that you make. And that's a good thing because maybe you say, you know what, in our home we're going to establish that we're going to build the kingdom of heaven. We're going to be in church. We're going to build the kingdom of heaven. We're going to grow that in our kids. And your home will follow suit. But then if the reverse is true because you could say, you know what, I'm going to be snide. I'm not going to speak life. And sure enough, you'll start to see your sphere of influence snide and not speaking truth, not speaking life. You know, um, I love where Moses is speaking to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. And the Lord says, I've put before you life and death. And he says, choose life. And it's in Deuteronomy 30, 19. And it says, so choose life in order that you may live and your descendants. And this is how we choose life. Because it's really easy to say choose life. And we're like, well, what does that mean? You know, cut out the Diet Coke and jog more. No, it says choose life. And it says we do that by doing three things. By loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. This is your life. Three things. Obeying the voice of the Lord, holding fast to him, and loving God. Those three things. And we can have life. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. But our three friends didn't. And so here we have our first lesson, the people of God will always be the first to choose. So the guys keep going, and there's always a tattletale. You know what I mean? Every group's got a tattletale. And these guys say, hey, King, you should know something. Um, there's this group of people, these like rebel rousers, and they are not listening to your command. And I don't want to say anything, but because I like you, I'm going to say something. And they're not bowing down and worshiping. And all of a sudden, you know, trouble comes to, to our three friends. And I think it's funny that the opposition says it's a group of people and it's three guys. When you stand up for something that's right, you're going to make people very nervous and you're going to draw attention to yourself. And so three guys get the intention of an entire kingdom. And so, you know, Satan sort of is the tattletale in our lives. All he does is run around watching what we're doing, and then he goes and tattletales on us and accuses us before the Father. It says that he's the accuser of the brethren. And so we do something, and then all of a sudden he goes back to God, and he says, look, look what she did. She's mine now. Did you see the choice she made? And Jeannie Mayo had it so well put. She said, when we sin, Satan has a warrant for us. But when we ask for forgiveness, the warrant is gone. So be quick to repent. Quick to repent because you take the warrant right out of the enemy's hand. And he doesn't have anything to accuse us because the blood is covering all our sins. So these guys are the group's tattletale and they're like, King, what are you gonna do about it? Everybody's watching, everybody's watching. What are you gonna do about it? And so here in the South, we have a phrase, he snatched them up. He snatched them up, no trial, no anything. And he says, fellas, what you gonna do? You gonna worship or what? Story is that you won't bow your knee when I cue the music. So what's up with that? And 
the second observation or life lesson I learn is that the people of God always have their loyalty tested. We're always the first to choose and we're always the first to have our loyalty tested. And the reason why is that you have to be standing for something to be offered a choice. If you're not standing for anything, it's pretty hard to have your loyalty tested because nobody knows what you're loyal to. But when you stake a claim and you say, no, this is how we're gonna live. No, I'm turning away from former things and pressing on towards the goal of my high calling. That is when your loyalty gets tested. When you press out towards a mark, when you press out towards something that's bigger than yourself. You know, people come to me all the time, young people, they're in college, and they're like, Sarah, you know, I want to be on Capitol Hill. You know, I want to be in TV news. And they know what I did before I came to Celebration Church. And so they're like, what's the secret? How do I get on Capitol Hill? How do I go get hired in the governor's office? And um, after I try to talk them out of that for like an hour and a half, <laughs> and we're ordering dessert, and I'm like, you're picking up the check, right? <laughs> you ask me. Um, I'm sitting there and I'm like, look, you have to be loyal. Pick a team and stick with it. And it's not even a team. Decide your principles. Decide what you're going to stand for, what you're willing to walk away from. And that's the surest way to success because opinions come and go candidates come and go, trends come and go, things, you know, the news cycle is what the news cycle is. But at the end of the day, what'll differentiate you from everybody else is your principles and that you are unwavering in them and that you stayed true to them. So good luck and make that your characteristic, your defining moment. And for you and I, it's the same way. <clears throat> The enemy tries to kind of confuse us or he'll try to get us to chase a lot of rabbits. But at the end of the day, what Deuteronomy told us was like, hold fast to the Lord. Hold fast to God. Make that your defining principle. It's going to be differentiating between you and everything else. And it's going to keep you true to your mark. True to your mark, true to your path. Because your loyalty is going to be tested. I'll also say that I always tell folks, and people come in my office all the time, and I'm always like, beware of your price point. And people are like, well, what is that? I said, you know, um, John Bevere puts it very eloquently. He says, the bait of Satan. You know what I mean? Everybody's got a little bit of bait in their life that the enemy knows, that's my soft spot. You know what I mean? It might be Oreo cookies for you. It could be a sharp tongue. It could be that you are quick to accuse. It could be any number of things, but the enemy knows what the Lord's working with you on. And I said, you know, always beware of your price point. And I remember a story that my grandmother taught me. She's since gone on to be with the Lord, but she, I was in college, you know, and she was scared to death that I was gonna date a Presbyterian and then marry him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we came from a very good Baptist family and she couldn't imagine, you know, having a Presbyterian in our family. But uh, she said, Sarah, you know what, sweetie? She said, um, I want to tell you a story. She said, there was a man who tried to get a date for his son. And he was looking for a really nice girl. And when he couldn't find a nice girl, he said, you know what? I'll find a girl. And he was trying to find a date for his son. And so he went up to this young woman and he said, would you go out with my son for 50 bucks? And she's like, absolutely not. 
your son could be some kind of weirdo. I'm not going out with anybody for $50. And he said, all right, all right, all right. I started too low. Would you do it for 100? Would you go out with my son for $100? And she said, no, I'm not going out with your son for $100. For all I know, he could be chopping people up and putting them in the attic. I'm not going out with your son for $100. He said, all right, I don't want to do this, but I'll go ahead and tell you, you know, I am a multimillionaire. I'm big in oil and gas, and I will give you $1 million to go out with my son. And she said, when's he picking me up? <laughs> she was sold. And he said, all right, all right, well, they get all the details straight. You know, he's going to pick you up 7 o'clock on Friday night. And he said, and here's a dollar. She said, what? A dollar? No way. You promised me a million dollars. He said, no, no, ma'am. I'm going to pay you a dollar today and a dollar every day until we get to that million dollars. She said, that's not we agreed, what we agreed to. He said, no, no, lady. He said, we already established the kind of woman you are. Right now, we're just haggling over price and financing. And I was like, thank you, Grandma. <laughs> I promise Presbyterians do love Jesus. You know what I mean? But that, that always stuck with me. It always stuck with me. The enemy just wants you to put a price on it. Put a price on it. Because then he knows he can win the haggling game. He'll debate the financing and the terms with you. He just wants you to name a price. What you want, you want a six bedroom house? Sold. What, what you want, what do you want? What do you want? You want a new car? What do you want? You want a better job? You want to feel more appreciated? You know what, I think you need a better circle of friends. People don't appreciate your qualities. You should have more leadership. Why aren't they listening to your voice? You have a lot of wisdom to offer. The price isn't always money that he offers us. A lot of times it's pride. A lot of times it is whatever strokes that bit of bait in our lives, whatever it is that strikes our, our flesh. And he says, you know what, if I can just get them to name a price, we'll haggle over the financing and terms later. But just get them to get a price. And the people of God, you are always going to have your loyalty tested and beware of your price point. That you've been bought. You have been bought with something that's more precious than gold, more precious than anything this world has to offer. You have been bought and paid for. And so don't let someone try to buy you twice. Rest in the fact that you've been redeemed once. So we keep going with our story, and the king has snatched him up. And he says, you know what? Fellas, what you going to do? You going to bow down? Are you going to take a walk? Are you going to test out my new furnace? What's the story? And the three men, their reply to him is just so well said. I'm going to read it straight from the Bible. It's Daniel 3, 16 through 18. And these three guys look at the king and they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And if he will deliver us, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Well, this is what kills me and what really just kind of nails the bullseye for me in their reply is that I can go along when I'm faced with a choice and I say, oh, I know my God can deliver me. I know my God can save me. We all agree in that, but it's the but. But even if he does not, we will not worship your gods. 
And for me, where that crossroads comes is, oh, I know my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Well, I have never seen the righteous forsaken or the just begging for bread. I'm quick to claim that, but here's the but. But even if he doesn't turn things around the way I think he should, I'm still going to serve him. I'm still going to trust him. So a lot of believers, we can go halfway through it and we can claim his promises and stand on his promises and do that. But what took these three friends to the next level is that they weren't afraid of the but. But even if he doesn't turn it around like I think he should, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to serve your image. Well, that did not set well with the king. And in the south, we say they got a little sideways with each other. And it says in scripture that his attitude changed towards them and he was enraged. And the third observation I make is that the people of God always depend on God for their confidence. Their confidence is God. You know, the reason that those guys are able to say, but, is because they're completely and wholly and dependent on the God they serve. And if you and I are going to be able to say, but, even if he doesn't, we are completely and wholly dependent on the God we serve. You know, anxiety, when you feel anxious about something, we know scripture says, be anxious about nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known before God. But Paul wouldn't have said that to us if we weren't feeling anxious 2,000 years ago and then to here today. Anxious and anxiety is something we just contend with. And I'll tell you, anxiety, so that you can just know and spot it, anxiety is where you picture your future without God present. Because perfect love casts out all fear, and God is love. So when you feel anxious about something, I just don't know if I'm going to get this promotion. I just don't know. Oh, man, I got the promotion. I just don't know if I can manage this department. You are projecting yourself into a future where God is not present. And he is not your counsel. He is not your wisdom. He is not your provision. Because you're projecting yourself in a future where you're relying on your skill, your ability, whatever it is that you can work, whatever it is that you can touch here on earth and the plates you can spin. That's when I feel anxious. That's when I start breathing in a paper bag. Pastor Frankie put it this way. He said, I feel anxious when I get ahead of God. I'm like, yeah, I can relate to that. And I have a very big drawer full of paper bags in my office that I breathe into on a regular basis. Yes, people in ministry breathe in paper bags. We don't drink bottles out of them. We breathe into them trying to calm ourselves down. And I sit there and I remind myself, God, am I ahead of you? God, am I projecting myself into a future where you are not present? You know, confident leaders are not confident in their abilities. They are confident in their God. Great leaders are not confident in their abilities. In fact, the leaders that think they're great leaders typically aren't. Have you ever talked to someone? They say, well, I'm a very good communicator. I'm always like, <laughs> take a poll. <laughs> Ask someone other than the mirror. Because great, great leaders know that they are wholly dependent on God. 
You know, Lord, if you can use me, you can use anyone. You know, like Isaiah said, here am I, send me. I am unworthy. I am an unclean man of unclean lips. Cleanse me and make me whole. And that's the way we approach it. God, I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing. But you're gonna, have to, you're gonna have to fill me up because I can't give what I don't have. I can't give what I don't have. So the only thing I have to give is what you've given me. So fill me up. I have no confidence in my abilities outside of your provision, Lord. So the people of God, just like our three friends, always depend on God for their confidence. You know, um, this is where our story gets a little bit interesting for our three friends because the king hog ties them. Yes, in the South, we hog tie people. And he hog ties them in their fancy clothes because, you know, you're not going to go visit the king in your sweats. So they were, it says in scripture that they were in their fancy pants and their turbans and their slippers and their giving this audience with the king and he just ties them up right there and it says in scripture that he put their strongest soldiers. And I thought, what's the king so afraid of that he has to sick his strongest soldiers on three unarmed guys? And I wanna tell you that the enemy's response to you will always be out of proportion. It will always be out of proportion because it's not you that he's afraid of. It's who you have your confidence in. And so he is going to sick the strongest guys, the biggest obstacles, the hardest things that he can think of at you to hog tie you, hog tie you so that you can't move an inch because he's like, "Mm, mm, mm." so the enemy's always going to have an out of portion response. I will tell you true story, y'all. Now we're having church. I'm going to get comfortable. Whenever I preach at Celebration Church, I already know I should take the day off. The day's going to be crazy because the enemy's going to be out of proportion with what the day holds. This is, this is a true story with the Rev kickoff. Rev kickoff for our big women's ministry kickoff. I can't make this stuff up. We had a lot going on. The vendors are coming. We're expecting 200 women. And you guys know our Rev kickoff is like our big highlight of the year. And we are like locked and loaded and ready to go. Do you know lightning struck this building? <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. I can't make this stuff up. Fire department had to come. It was crazy because it, it struck the building and thank goodness nothing was hurt and everyone who came and responded said, even the, the fire alarm technician, he said, what kind of church is this? I said, well, <laughs> a good one? And he's like, well, I'll say, cause y'all, I tell you what, you're the luckiest people I know. This place didn't burn down to the ground. I said, do you have a church to go to on Sunday? <laughs> Because I got to tell you, our insurance plan is beating the pants off anything you have to offer, mister. But it's true. The enemy is it's always out of proportion. So when we have kickoffs or we ha- I'm going to you know, be at church on Sunday, on Wednesday or whatever, I already know, God, I know you're going to move because I feel the ropes. I feel like he's trying to hog tie me. I feel like he's trying to, to confuse me a little bit. And I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not going to fall for it. I'm going to stay true and stay the course with you. So the, the king hog ties them and he throws them in the furnace. And this is my, my last point and then I'm gonna close. And it says in the scripture, or I guess I'll make this point and then share the scripture. It's that 
we will demonstrate, the people of God will demonstrate more in the trials we face than in the victories we achieve. We will reflect more of Jesus in the trials we face than in the victory laps we take. I think it's because of who he is and his nature. It says he is a clear and present help in times of trouble. So when you're in trouble, you're in great company. And he is there. And just like our first point was that you're a sphere of influence, people are watching to see how you handle trouble. Because most people have a handle on how to handle good. Most people can take a victory lap. But show me somebody who can make it through a fiery furnace. <laughs> that person, I'm gonna see their medal pretty quick. You know, the king wasn't moved by their defense. He wasn't moved by their description of their God being able to save. What moved the king was that they weren't alone in the fire. Because we sit back and the king is watching these guys get thrown into this vat, to this crematorium. And then he looks at his advisors and it says in verse 20, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? And they're like, yes, yes, the tattletales. Certainly, your majesty, it was three. And he said, look, I see four. And they are unbound and unharmed. And the fourth one looks like the son of the gods. Your trials are magnifying moments, magnifying moments, and your trials invite the fourth man in the fire. You know, what I love about the fire, when, you, when it talks about it in verse 20, it says that the king saw that the fire had no power over them. That's what the King James Version says. The fire had no power over them. It did not singe a hair on their heads. Their clothes were not burned and did not even smell of smoke. The fire had no power over them. But we just talked about how they were hogtied, right? You know what the fire burned off? The ropes that bound them. You and I, sometimes we're sitting there, we're like, God, what am I doing in this fire? What am I doing in this trial? I need a break from being the marshmallow. And all of a sudden we look around and we're like, wow, that thing that was encumbering us, I don't see that anymore. <laughs> Lord, that relationship that I thought, you know, was, was the key to the future, I don't see that person anymore. You burnt that one up. Thank you, Jesus. You know? Pray that over your teenagers' lives. Lord, put him in a fire and burn that boy up. You know what I mean? <laughs> Y'all pray for Avery Stevens. You know what I'm saying? Between her mama and her daddy. Mm. And we're not Catholic. She can't be a nun. So y'all need to pray for that girl. But that's the thing. Sometimes we sit there and we're like, you know, what's the fire for? Fire had no power over our three friends, but it burnt the ropes up. And they're walking around in the fire with a guy who looks like the son of God. I love that that's when Jesus shows up. That's when he shows up. He didn't save him from falling in the fire. He was waiting in the fire for him. And you and I, sometimes we're expecting God. Well, God, I'm expecting you to be on this side of my troubles. And he's waiting for you right in the middle of them because he knows where you need him. And he knows he's never gonna leave you alone. So what moves the king's heart isn't their impassioned speech, it isn't their position or what he had done for them in the government. 
It was that they saw that he wasn't alone. And so many of you have friends and kings in your life, and what's gonna move their heart isn't what you say, it isn't you know, who you serve or the position you have in your job. What's gonna move their heart is they're gonna see you in a trial, and they're gonna see that you're not alone. Not just that you're alive, but that you're not alone. It's pretty incredible. So if you'll stand with me, I'm going to close with a story, and Jez is going to come and play. And I love that he's on guitar tonight, because that feels just like a campfire, doesn't it? How many youth group sing-alongs did we ever have, you know, around the bonfire? Play Kumbaya for us, Jez. I'm just kidding. Don't play Kumbaya. You know, I was um, thinking about this service, and I was really inspired by a friend, and I'm going to tell you her story. Uh, she called me out of the blue, and she's younger than I am. I'm, I'll tell you right now, I'm 36 years old. She's in her early 30s. Her children are a little bit younger than mine. And she said, Sarah, you know, you're not going to believe this. Um, I have an autoimmune disease. And I said, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. She's really active here at church, just an amazing woman, woman of God. And she said, Sarah, I'm having a horrible flare-up. She said, I literally was doing car line yesterday, and I got up this morning, and I'm in a wheelchair. My legs have forgotten how to work. And she said, and my husband is having to bathe me, and my mom is moving in with me for a little bit just till I get through this, because she'll have a flare-up, and because of the autoimmune disease, her central nervous system will just, you know, wig out, and it'll crossfire, and it, it won't know how to, how to do simple things. And she's a good friend, and she's calling me, and she's like, you know, just crying. And she's like, Sarah, I just don't understand. I just don't understand what is God trying to teach me or what is God trying to show me or what am I supposed to learn in this season? She's like, my kids are six and four. I can't be in a wheelchair. My kids are six and four. My husband is young. There are things I need to do. There are things I need to be for them. What is God trying to show me? And you ever have a phone call where you have nothing to say? All you can do is listen. All you can do is encourage and pray. Encourage and pray. And I had been reading the night before, just in my personal time, just right in bed before I crashed, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I felt the Lord stir in me while she's on the phone, and I have no words, that you know what? We all take a turn getting snatched up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego aren't doing anything wrong. And they got snatched up. You're not doing anything wrong, friend. You're just getting snatched up and placed in a fiery place. And I don't have any answers to offer you. Who am I that I can counsel God? But I have a promise for you, and I can encourage you. And the promise is this, that the fire has no power over you. The fire has no power over you that the only thing it can do is burn the ropes that bind you. And the other thing is a promise is that you're never alone in the fire. And that's what I could tell my friend. It's what I tell women who come to me with amazing, incredible stories. They you know, why is my child having to have plastic surgery because a dog attacked it? Why won't God heal my child? Why does my 18-month-old have cancer? And I have no words, because all I can say sometimes we get snatched up and put in the fire. The pr I promise, I promise, I promise that while you're in a fiery place, you are not bound in it. 
and you are never alone in that fiery place. The story ends with our, free, with our three friends really well. Scripture says that a pagan king praises the living God, and he says, no one can save like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it says that then he promoted them. I want to encourage you that the third thing is that fiery places, fiery trials usually precede promotion. So hold on, hold on. Look for Jesus where you don't expect him. And that's where it'll be. And hold on.